The U.S. Army Burn Center provides state-of-the-art surgical and rehabilitation treatment to burn patients. As a result of the war on terror, many of the burns treated at the burn center are from improvised explosive devices, rocket-propelled grenades, and flammable liquid explosions. When soldiers are wounded in combat, the U.S. Army burn flight team arrives to transport them back to the United States. And this can happen sometimes within 72 hours of injury. And back in the States, they receive the best medical care possible. You're listening to ReachMD XM 160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, your host, and with me today is Dr. Kevin Chung, medical intensivist and PA Charles Thompson, surgical and critical care PA, both from the Army Burn Center, Fort Sam, Houston, Texas. Today we're discussing the Burn Center at Brook Army Medical Center. Hi, Dr. Chung and PA Thompson. Welcome to ReachMD. Hi, Lisa. How are you? Hello, Lisa. Dr. Chung, let's start with talking about the Burn Center. Can you tell us about your center and your center's mission? So the U.S. Army Burn Center is the Department of Defense's only burn center that is uh, essentially present to take care of all wounded personnel in the military. So essentially anybody who's burned that's in the Department of Defense, anybody with severe burns, that is, will come to us and we will take care of them. We also act as the regional burn center for South Texas, as we are located in Brook Army Medical Center in San Antonio, Texas. And we cover an area of a population of about 5 million in the South Texas region. And our admission per year is about 400 to 500 over the last five years. And so we average about that. And in terms of burn acuity, we take care of very, very sick patients and The number of burn patients that we take care of in terms of size, when you compare us to other burn centers around the country, I would say we're about in the top five busiest in the country. Well, let's talk about how the patients get to you. Charles, I know you've had some experience with the flight team. So tell us about the burn flight teams. Well, the burn flight team is something that that you don't hear a lot about. But interestingly enough, it's been in existence since 1951. And the mission statement will tell you that we're to provide safe, long-distance aeromedical evacuation of burn patients in support of large and small conflicts. And we've done so during Vietnam in 67 to 72, of course, Operation Iraqi Freedom in March of 03. So the burn flight team has been in existence for quite some time. And as far as numbers go, if you just look at between 1980 and 1995, on one study that we actually did and looked back at the burn flight team, we moved 1,196 patients over 850,000 miles. And the significance of that is, of course, there were zero in-flight deaths. And another study showed that between 52 and 1997, we moved over 4,000 patients and over 8 million miles. And again, no in-flight deaths. So the burn flight team are tasked with providing expertise in both the triage, stabilization, resuscitation, the transportation, surgical intervention, and even rehabilitation of burn patients. Now, do these patients all have to go to Germany first, or can the flight team sometimes grab them where they are and bring them straight to you? No, uh, actually, on numerous occasions, the flight team has been deployed uh, both nationally and internationally, and uh, both to pick up patients and and also to provide care and educate in the care on, like, for example, large-scale disasters. And even to that end, in 1998, the burn flight team divided its primary mission 
primary and foremost is stabilization and transport by the flight team of burn patients. And that would include the burn patients from theater, which, as you pointed out, are triage to Longstool Regional Medical Center. And then we bring them from Longstool to here. And then the second phase, our mission of the burn flight team, was in 98, it was divided up into the Special Medical Augmentation Response Team, or what they call the SMART Team. That is where we do assist in burn and trauma triage, resuscitation, treatment, and evacuation. And that can be anywhere in the world. Dr. Chong, tell us about the needs of the burn patients, and and what are the most pressing needs they have when they arrive to your facility? Well, upon arrival to our burn facility, it depends on how long it's been since the burn injury itself. So for the combat wounded that, on average, from the time of burn to admission to our hospital in the States, let's say they were burned in Iraq, on average, we're able to get them over here over four days. And so the minute they get here, we assess their wounds. During those four days, care is being delivered en route. And so if you think about the amount of care that's necessary for the severe burn, in terms of resuscitation. Resuscitating a burn patient when the burn is greater than 20% is a big deal, and it requires some level of expertise, some experience, and careful attention to what the patient is giving you in terms of uh, urine output and what their vital signs are. And so the, the care is very, very intense, and this is delivered in theater. Oftentimes, en route, they'll be taken care of initially in the theater and then seen by a group to Germany, they're essentially taken care of in the back of an airplane via a critical care air transport team, which is really synonymous with the burn flight team. And there's a group of Air Force docs and nurses who take care of these soldiers and get them to Germany. Once they get to Germany, their wounds are assessed. If they need escharotomies, hopefully they've been done in theater, but if they need further escharotomies, they'll get them done in Germany. They'll get them stabilized. They'll undergo bronchoscopy to determine if they have inhalation injury. They'll get transferred here, most of the time with the burn fly team, but sometimes not. Just the CCAT team will, the critical care transport team that is, will bring them over here. It's about half and half. Obviously, the burn fly team is, is only deployed for the sicker patients. And when they get here, we basically will admit them to the ICU, change out all their lines, and plan for surgery. So a burn patient, when you think about what a severe burn is, a 40% burn is a severe burn. When you need 40% of your skin, 40% of your total body surface area, when you need that replaced, and it essentially does need to get replaced. When you have burned wound, that burned wound is dead, and that dead skin has to come off. And when that dead skin comes off via surgical excision, it needs to be replaced by your own skin. And so the patient's own skin has to replace it via autograft. So a split thickness skin graft procedure has to be performed. And so if you're a 40 percenter, you get all your burn skin taken off in the first surgery. Oftentimes you have a large blood loss. Two to three liters is common of blood loss. That burned skin, after it's removed has to be replaced by autograft, and the autograft comes from the areas that are not burned. And so a 40% burn comes out of the operating room, 80 to 90% of their body is open. From a physiologic standpoint, that has tremendous consequences. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, and I'm speaking with Dr. Kevin Chung, 
medical intensivist, and PA Charles Thompson, surgical and critical care PA, from the Army Burn Center at Fort Sam, Houston, Texas. And we're discussing the Burn Center at Brook Army Medical Center. So, Dr. Chung, what is the leading cause of morbidity or mortality in these soldiers? Clearly, it's infection. I consider the skin to be one of the most important organs, and it is the largest organ of the human body. And when it's not there, you essentially have a patient that does not have their defenses, their first line of defense against infection standing. And so from day one, we worry about infection. And every time they go to the operating room, we hope and pray that the autograph procedure that's performed will be successful so that their skin will close appropriately so that the risk of infection will go away. We call it a race against time. The race against time is we have a very limited amount of time for us to get those wounds closed before the patient is able to withstand the wave and wave, wave after wave of infection that is bound to happen over the course of an ICU stay. And so the race against time is essentially get the wounds closed before the patient dies of a a severe infection. And how many surgeries do these soldiers have on average? Right. Typically, a severe burn will have up to five surgeries to get the wounds closed every, I'd say, two to three weeks. And that's a 40% burn, average size burn. If you have somebody that's an 80% burn or greater, it's even more just to get the wounds closed, and it may take over a year to do that. And so if you consider a 85 to 90% burn, I told you that the burn wound has to come off and has to be replaced by your own skin. Well, where does that skin come from? You just don't have enough skin to cover all those wounds. And so what we do is we do what we can. The wounds are covered with autograft and stretched out four to one as widely as possible to cover as much area as possible. And then the other areas are covered with temporary dressings. The most commonly used at our burn center is cadaver skin or allograft. And so those dressings, the cadaver skin will provide a temporary dressing and allow that wound bed to be covered and sealed as long as possible. And after about two weeks, the body rejects the allograft or the cadaver skin, and you essentially have to go back to the operating room. And hopefully by that time, after the two weeks have elapsed, two to three weeks, the donor sites where the autograft came from will have healed to be reharvested again. So we currently have a 95% are in the ICU right now, combat wounded, who has had already been here for three months and has had already 10 operations, and he has still a long way to go. So how does your team stay positive? This is such an emotionally draining job. Right. So provider resiliency is one of the major components of our care and our being. Essentially, taking care of patients like this, like you said, is very emotionally taxing. When you have a patient that rides essentially the roller coaster of life and death, And on a day-to-day basis, you don't know if they're going to live or die. That can be for all the staff, nurse, PA, surgeon, intensivist. It can take you for a ride and and be very emotionally taxing, especially when you have a patient that you've bonded with and, and have taken care of for a while that you lose. And every so often, we'll lose a patient, and it affects all the staff in a very bad way. And it really has to do with each individual and how they deal with that kind of stress. If you have a person, a personality that is able to deal with that kind of stress, 
lives a balanced life, is able to go home, forget about work, and come back recharged after a long weekend. You may have somebody that is able to have that resiliency that's necessary to work in a burn unit like this, or a unit like this. Every burn unit is similar in the level of stress, obviously. But if you're not able to, you can potentially burn out. And uh, we have had many staff members that after a year and a half, they just can't take it anymore and they'll leave. And so, you know, providing resources for the staff has been a big focus for the leadership in the burn center. And that's provided in the form of a compassion fatigue team that's assigned psychologists, nurse practitioners that are assigned specifically to look out for compassion fatigue and a burnout, look out for the signs and uh, address them as they see it. Well, I want to close with talking about some of the positive outcomes. I know I visited Brook Army Medical Center last spring, and the mood in your unit and all around Brook was really amazing. And there were a lot of wounded warriors there and a lot of burns, but yet you don't feel that or see it. Everybody is upbeat and there's a great spirit there. So could you kind of close with telling us some of the the great outcomes that you have had in your unit? Well, I think for me personally, as a intensivist, my patients usually don't talk to me. And I know when Mr. Thompson works in the ICU, he has the benefit of being able to follow them up in the, the clinic every so often. And he sees them in the clinic and sees how well they're doing and how normal a life that they're living. And that's such a positive boost. And for me, when I take care of these patients in the ICU, many times I think to myself, how are they alive? How could they have suffered this type of injury and still be living? And then I I will think that, and then a year from that point, I'll run into them in the hallway, and they're walking, and they're walking with their families. And it just amazes me. And I introduce myself. Of course, they don't remember me because (laughs) when I was taking care of them, they were completely out and sedated, intubated on the ventilator. But they know who, as soon as I say my name, they'll, they'll, they'll recognize, oh, yeah, I remember you know, who you are. And uh, obviously, the, the, I have contact with the family members, and so the family members know who I am. And it's very, very rewarding to see patients that are on the brink of death, and they rally, they come back, and they are functional, walking around, and, and able to enjoy life. Well, you guys are doing amazing work. And on behalf of ReachMD, we thank you. And uh, we thank you, Dr. Chung and uh, Charles Thompson, for coming on the show. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at ReachMD.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts. And you can also find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And thanks for listening.